The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Amen. Throughout the summer, we're going to be in a series entitled Culture of Care. Culture of Care. It's really exciting to be a part of a fast-growing church. Uh, it's, it's just, this is awesome. Just awesome to meet new people and to feel the energy and to see lives being transformed and to be a part of a growing community and to hear stories of transformation. It's really exciting. But it also comes with some downsides that we want to be purposeful about overcoming. And one of those downsides is that the larger a church gets and the faster it grows, the smaller its ability to care and sometimes the ability to find community. Maybe you've gone to a big church already in progress, only to find yourself somewhat lost in the crowd. Even after maybe weeks or months, you don't really know anybody and you you kind of arrive and experience a worship service and leave, but you don't feel apart and you're not connected to people and you don't have a little community around you. And maybe you go through something difficult, nobody knows, nobody acts, and it can be a really sad and difficult experience. And so as the staff and the board consider where we're at as a church and where we're going, you know, we're in the middle of a uh, generosity initiative and expansion plans and we're fixing to add a third service to accommodate the growth and hoping to have uh, an expansion plan to present in August. And so there's some really exciting stuff happening, but we also recognize that in the midst of all that growth, it's possible for people who matter to God to be missed, to be passed over, to be overlooked and to miss out on the care that God feels for them and that he has provided for them in and through the church. And so at this juncture, we feel like God's leading is for us to do the work of creating a culture of care because it won't happen by itself. Sometimes it happens by itself in a small church. How many of you guys grew up in a small church? Anybody? I grew up in a small church. Everybody knew everybody. I knew everyone's phone number. Remember when you had to know everybody's phone number? I, I still know most of those phone numbers. Uh, when I went through difficult challenges, when our family was suffering, my parents separated when I was 18 and with other young kids in the house. And I was shocked at how traumatic that was for me, how it made me feel. And uh, I felt terrible. Even just being at home without everybody there was really like a terrible experience for me. And, and a family in the church who I had started working for in the lawn company and I was mowing grass, they just let me crash on their couch just because I wasn't in a good head and I was, I was feeling lonely. And being at home made me feel more lonely. And so they just said, sleep here on the couch. When Tiffany and I, uh, right before we got engaged, she graduated from high school in Jacksonville and she moved here and she moved right into one of the a spare bedroom of our small group leader at the time, Keith and Barbara. Everybody kind of knew everybody. And so you're, you, you know what's going on. You know when people are suffering, you know when people are sick. You can tell when people aren't at church. You can call people and say, are you okay? And so sometimes care can happen by accident in a small church that is exceedingly unlikely to happen in a growing and in a large church. And so we want to be proactive at creating culture of care. What are we talking about when we say care? I Googled that this, this about two weeks ago. What is care? How do you create a culture of care? You know what I found? I found a lot of uh, psychological articles about how to care for yourself and not burn yourself out caring for others. And I thought, I know there's some people that have that problem, but that's not most people. That's not, that's not really uh, typical. What, what is care? And then I pull up, I'm, I'm driving to the church from my house in Beachside, Daytona, and I get to the intersection of Ridgewood and International Speedway Boulevard, and I look up, and there's a billboard, Cracker Barrel billboard, and it says, 
tear in every crispy bite and there's fried chicken. And I was like, that's closer. We're, get, we're getting there. We're get, and it turns out they have like this whole like marketing strategy on care. They have, uh, care is our secret ingredient. I'm like, what are you, what are you putting in my chicken? Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? A Southern fried care package. Now listen, as you will see and as you will find out when you see what it is we're trying to get done, food is actually a big part of care at Christ Church. And uh, it's going to be, it's gonna be a significant, significant piece of the pie, no pun intended. <laughs> but what, but what, is, what is care really? Because, I mean, fried chicken is good. Somebody dropping off Cracker Barrel to go at your house after you have a baby, that's, that's good. Does that care? Webster's Dictionary defines care as a provision of what is necessary for the health, welfare, maintenance, and protection of someone or something. So if someone has a need, they, need, they have care. If someone's sick, they need care. If someone's missing something important, they need care. If someone's in danger, they need care. As a verb, care is a feel of concern or interest attaching importance to something. And so when you feel cared for, when someone does something caring for you, it makes you feel important. Someone else is thinking about you, about your situation. And so we want to do the hard work of creating a culture of care. Now, as we kick off this series, I want to kind of pull the curtains back and tell you how we're trying to do that. Not something I typically do on a Sunday morning, but there's a three-pronged approach the staff is taking to creating a culture of care. And the first is leadership. You guys know we spent uh, eight weeks in the book of Titus talking about leadership and the importance of leadership and service, servant leaders in the church and identifying and empowering leaders and training leaders in the church. And we will not be able to create a culture of care without leaders. And in fact, Titus was one of those leaders. I found this passage, 2 Corinthians 8, 16 and 17 in my study in the, in the book of Titus. And it was a reference to Titus. It says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, that appeal to go to this church, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. We didn't have to talk him into it. You were important to him. He was ready to go. He cares about you the way we care about you. And so when I ask the question, what is care this passage reveals to me that it's something that's in the heart of a person. It's something that God put there. And it's a motivation to have an others-centered sacrifice. Titus was willing to go out of his way for the good of other people. He was willing to sacrifice his own convenience, priorities, and desires for the good of other people. And that's a miracle. It's a miracle of God. Do you know that? Because without God, we become preoccupied with one person. We can't even see, oftentimes, the need and the importance of others. This is why moms are so special, because they kind of get a pass on this. Moms tend to be more caring just in general, more thoughtful, more focused, more able to see. But for the most part, the world is not necessarily a caring place, but the church ought to be. And so we start by identifying and empowering leaders. Some of you right now, you know, that's me. You have the gifts of empathy and mercy and organization and leadership. And you know, oh, there's a place for me. And we're looking for you. And we're going to find you. And we're going to connect you to being helpful in building a culture of care. The second thing 
in our approach is structure. Somebody say structure. Structure is super important. It's not fun to talk about, but structure matters. Over the past several weeks, we've been using our database management system planning center to create workflows and structure to be able to find out who wants to be a part of care ministry at Christ Church, who can lead and serve and be on a team. And then we're building into our website a way that people can express a need for care, how we can meet that need and track that need and make sure nobody gets dropped or gets overlooked. And so if you want to really care for people, it requires structure. It just does, especially if you want to care for a lot of people. I mean, you can keep track of a couple people. How many times have you thought, oh man, I haven't reached out to so-and-so since their spouse passed away or since they were diagnosed or just out of sight, out of mind. And so we want to have structure. Acts 20, 28, this is Paul to the Ephesian elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I don't think... He could make that any more emphatic. You know the people Jesus died for? Keep a close watch on them. So in order to do that, we want to create structure. Structure. So we see it as the responsibility of the pastors and leaders of the church of Jesus because God sees every single person as precious and important, and he's left that role to us. And so we want to be a church that is a caring church. We want to build that culture of care. And so we need leaders, we need structure, but... This is not primarily the work of leaders. We need to be the ones to lead in that direction, to create that structure, to, to, to lead people toward that. But care uh, is all about the church of Jesus being the church of Jesus. And so our third part is training. And that's what this series is about. We wanna really get into the nitty gritty of what care looks like and how do we execute that care and how do we grow in becoming more caring people and more effective at meeting the needs that people have. And so this is a big part of it, uh, training. How many of you guys have ever had a CPR course? Yeah, oh wow, sweet, I feel safer already. (laughs) How many of you um, still pay attention when you take a flight to the attendant at the front of the room? Yeah. See, that's what I don't want to happen. I want you guys to think about this as CPR training for care and not me going up there and putting the thing and buckling the seatbelt and you're like, oh man, can I fall asleep yet? And so this, this is training, and you require this training. I want you to feel like a person who's flying for the first time all throughout the series. You see them on the plane, you look over, and you're like, you know, putting your laptop away, and they're like, what did he say? I can't hear. Turn it up. Turn it up. Which way does the buckle go? I have two wrong ends. They're like, like I've done this hundreds of times. We're going to make it. You're not, you're not going to need any of those things. Um, Plus, there isn't like, I don't know lots of people who are in a plane crash and are like, man, if it wasn't for that life vest under the seat, I just, like those stories do not abound. So just relax on the airplane, but pay attention during the series. So leadership, structure, training. So if you go to our website, there's a new tab to the far right on our website. Don't go there now, get distracted. Uh, And it says care. And it says care. And in the future, that is going to be a place where people can volunteer for care and can express a need for care. I, I have a need. And, and sometimes that takes great humility and vulnerability to say, hey, I have something that I, I need you to at least pray about. And maybe there's a way we can meet that need. Uh, but right now, it's just a place for you to sign up to help. Because we want to be a church that is pro- all proactive in caring 
and not staffing a small group of people that are trying to meet the needs of the masses. Do you understand? This will only work when we are all in this together and we're all doing the part that God has made us to do. And so you can, you can go there today after church and you can look to see there's, there's room for meals and, and delivering and registering for meals, hospital visits, home visitation, phone calls, cards, flowers, prayer ministry, widow care. There's all sorts of different ways that you can say, hey, I'm, I want to be a part of this and I'm officially signing up to be on the team, whether you're a leader or a volunteer. Um, but that's the first step you can take. Uh, in the structure that we're providing. And over the course of the next few weeks, uh, we're going to get into what the training looks like to be a caring church and to build a culture of care. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about suffering. Wah, wah, wah. (laughs) If you think about care for a second, I mean, care is a beautiful thing. And if you've ever felt cared for, someone's ever thought of you, and if you got a card in the mail that was unsolicited and unexpected, or if somebody showed up to your house with food that you didn't know very well, but they heard that about your situation, or if somebody met a financial need that you had and you didn't expect it, feeling cared for is, is amazing. It really is. It's a, it's a tangible way that we can encounter lives transformed by Jesus, and you can actually experience the love that God has for you. Care is powerful. But care has as its backdrop suffering. If there is no suffering, there is no need for care, is there? If everything is going swimmingly, then you don't need anybody to drop off fried chicken, do you? Yeah, some of you are like, well, make things nicer anyway. And so because care has as its backdrop suffering, I think it's important in the beginning of our training that we develop perspective. Somebody say perspective. That's the sermon for this morning Uh, I'm not going to reiterate everything I just said. That's kind of like the the launching of the series. But every one of these sermons covers a P word that relates to care. And this morning's is perspective. I want to talk to you briefly about the source of suffering, the source of victory, and the source of care. The source of suffering. Look at 1 Peter 5, 6 to 11. This is Peter, the disciple, now the aged pastor, elder, who's writing to the church in exile, to the diaspora, spread out, experiencing persecution and suffering, and specifically exhorting in chapter five the leaders of those groups of displaced churches. And he says to the leaders in verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. There's a beautiful principle there. It's not for this sermon. But we all oftentimes are fighting to exalt ourselves, to self-promote, to get ahead, to get attention, to be successful. And the call of the Christian, leaders and non-leaders, is to humble ourselves before God, to come to God and say, here's everything I have, here's everything that I lack, but it's all yours. Do with me as you please. And it's in that posture that we will experience the mighty hand of God. And you don't want to miss the mighty hand of God because the mighty hand of God fills every gap, gets you over every hump, solves every problem, meets every need, heals every disease. If you want to live life to its fullest, you need to encounter the mighty hand of God. And the only way to experience that is through humility, is to humble yourselves. And when you do that, God gives you a voice. God gives you a platform. God gives you the resources. God gives you the power. And the beautiful part about that is that when you end up with the things you perceive you need, you know the source. You know where they came from. So part of God's mysterious plan is to work for our good in the midst 
of suffering. Verse seven says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Part of humbling yourself is casting your cares or casting your anxieties, the things that trouble you, the things that you have issues with, to him, knowing that he cares for you. But it's easy for us to draw this weird false dichotomy and to come to the conclusion that if God really loved us, he would just save us from all suffering. And in fact, a big obstacle for a lot of people coming to faith is if God is so good and if God is so powerful, then why is the world such a train wreck? And why do people get away with doing evil things? Why do innocent people die and and terrible people live long lives? Where is this injustice? Where is this evil? And it becomes an obstacle for faith. But when you read the scriptures, they speak right to and assume suffering is a part of our human existence. Look at verse eight. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Why don't you just put him in a cage, God? Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen, there is a mystery to why and how God uses suffering for his purposes and for our good. I'm not here to explain it to you. I do want to point out to you that the source of suffering from the scriptures is the disbelief and disobedience of humankind and the ensuing curse of God on the planet. This is the storyline. If you read your Bible, crack it open to chapter one and verse one, you won't get too far into chapter two and verse 15 when we hear God saying, to Adam and Eve, all of this beautiful Eden and this garden and this fruit trees and this marriage covenant, naked and unashamed, pretty awesome to be naked and unashamed. This is all for you, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. This was God's way of saying, hey, you you are made in the image of God. You are made with dignity and value and equity. And you, you have... You, you express the nature of God and you're in this beautiful place and all these gifts are for you, but don't forget I'm God and you're not. So here's one rule just to remind you. And it was through the activity of the devil then, the same one who's roaring, roaring lion searching for people to devour, who inserted a lie about God and created a distrust that turned into disobedience and that plummeted the world into the fallen world in which we live. This is the the Bible's mythology. This is the explanation of the world in which we live. And this is where evil began. Now listen, if you read just the words, you will conclude that God knew it was going to happen. He did. And he had a plan not to prevent it, but to reign over it by being victorious through it. And that's what God has done. And so... Suffering has a source and God presides sovereignly over all suffering and God never wastes suffering. He will make it do for you what nothing else can do. But suffering becomes the backdrop for care. And if you're here and you're not a person of faith, you're listening online and you go, that's that's a hard pill to swallow. Well, there there is no better explanation 
But I tell you what, there is a relationship that you can have today by faith that begins to transform your perspective on the world in which you live and begins to pour out love and affection and deliverance into your direction, ultimately resulting in your resurrection to an age with no suffering. That's what God has for you. That's what God died to give you. And that's what you're invited into today if you'll take God at his word. Because he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He's the one who has dominion forever and ever. Amen? I love uh, Christmas carols. The old ones. Not like rocking around the Christmas tree. No, that's not what I'm talking about. We have a rule. We're not allowed to do Christmas carols after January 1st until November 1st at the Jarvis house. You guys have that rule? We only have like six rules in our house. That's one of them. And so, but I love the old, the old hymn Christmas carols. And I have all these memories of growing up with my grandmother playing the piano and all of our family at Christmas time singing these carols. And when I think about what God has done to bring his love and affection and his practical care and deliverance to humanity, I remember joy to the world. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. That our world is broken is no surprise. What's surprising is that God cares enough to do something about it. And he cares enough about you to do something about it. So suffering has a source, uh, but suffering does not have to prevail. This is the perspective of the early church fathers. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay, this miracle that God has done in our heart to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Sounds a lot like Peter's humble yourself, doesn't it? We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Listen, we won't rise unless we die. Do you know it? We won't experience the power and care of God unless we suffer, and we won't be able to put on display the transformational power of Jesus as the church until we're able to be there for people in suffering. And so I don't know why it's the way it is, but I know how God works through it. And I want you to experience that same reality. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Isn't that good news? It's really good news when you're almost 40. Because from like 15 to 38, everything's pretty much the same. You just know more stuff and have more money. And then at 40, just this little downhill starts. You're like, whoa, 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 what's going on there? And it usually starts when you see a picture of yourself. Some of you are past that stage where you're like, that happened to me a long time ago. I don't even remember, you know? Happened to me a couple, couple three times now. I'm like, whoa, what's happening? Well, your outer self's wasting away. That's happening. But I tell you what, it's a beautiful consolation to know from personal experience that on the inside, God's making me new. He's making me whole. Is making me better than I was. It was, it was Wesley, I believe, that said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be, I'm not what I should be. By the grace of God, 
I am what I am. That's the inner working of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this amazing thing in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That's why I love that you're in church right now. There's plenty of bad stuff to be seen out there, isn't it? Did you watch the news this week? Did you look at your checking account? Did you talk to your neighbors? There's plenty of stuff that's visible, no bueno. But what you need is a shot of unseen reality. This is why church matters. It builds our faith to go, oh yeah, that's right. Look up, everybody. God's on the throne. Look in. God's doing a miracle right here. Look around. It's not just you. This is spreading far and wide. We need to be able to fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're all going bye-bye. All your stuff from last Christmas is gonna end up at the dump, isn't it? It will get there eventually. Everything's breaking down, falling down, but things that are unseen are eternal. So suffering has a source. More importantly though, there's a source of victory. I mentioned it already. Jesus came into suffering and prevailed over suffering by walking through the suffering. And isn't it amazing when you consider that we have a God who didn't wave a magic wand or protect us from everything like a helicopter parent in heaven? No, he came into the broken world. He got up underneath of it and he bore it away. He went through death and was victorious over it so that we can have hope beyond this life and strength to move through it. Hebrews chapter two and verse eight. Hebrews is this kind of big, long sermon citing massive portions of the Hebrew Bible to persuade the the, the formerly Jewish readers that, that Jesus is better and that it's worth being persecuted over to stay true to Jesus and not to retreat back into Judaism because of impending suffering. And in chapter two and verse eight, the author writes, now in putting everything in subjection to him, Jesus, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjective to him. Can I get an affirmation? You guys paying attention? Hey, Jesus is king on the throne. Really? Because it doesn't look like it. We don't see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. You know God's not ashamed of you? Shame's a powerful thing. You ever had someone tell you shame on you? I have. <laughs> not like you're thinking. For other, for other reasons. I've had people say shame on you. Shame on you. 
for leading Christchurch the way that I do, for preaching some things that I've preached. Shame on you. How dare you? Shame on you. We use that with our kids too. Give them that look. I'm, doing, I'm trying not to do that with my kids right now. Julian likes to put stuff in the freezer. He filled up one of his juice cups, no lid, with water, threw some cashews in there, froze it. Like, I don't know where that idea came from. He gets it out and he's like, he wants to get his frozen chunk of ice-filled cashews out of this cup, but it's shaped like an hourglass. It won't come out. So he leaves it out for a little while, thinking that'll work. It didn't work. Then once... It's full of water halfway, just turns it over upside down in the kitchen. Water and cashews everywhere. Starts banging it on the floor. Julian, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just trying to get my own cashews out. I'm like, duh, dad. Like, I mean, he's four. If you don't know, he's four years old. So he's a, he's a little scientist. And I gave him the dad look. They're like shocked. They're like, shame on you look. Like, what? what is wrong with you? And he saw the look and he went from like explaining to me the physics of what he was trying to get done to like, me sorry, dad. <laughs> Felt the shame. We mopped up the water and cashews. You know that no matter what you do, innocent or evil, you have a God who died to get shame off you, to lift the plague of shame away from your heart and mind, and to write in its place, beloved child of God, redeemed, forgiven, restored, established, confirmed, mine. He's not ashamed of you. There's nothing you've done that makes God ashamed because he came into suffering to bear it away, to take it off of you. He literally, spiritually put it on himself so that it could be resolved between him and the Father, that there would be no wrath left, no shame for you, for every person who puts their faith in Jesus, though they are not spared the suffering this world has. And we do not all experience it with equality of outcome. We have a Savior who suffered in our place, who meets us in the suffering and removes the shame. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters important that we recognize as we consider what it means for us to be a part of God's extension of care to others. That yes, there is suffering in the world and we're not trying to get around that and we're not trying to accuse God for it, but we honor the king who is victorious through suffering. That our victory has a source and it's in that victory that we stand to be able to care and to be an extension of God's care, which brings us to my third and final source the source of care. It's in your union with Christ that you become a conduit of God's care. Do you know that? When you put your faith in Jesus, you not only find personal salvation and hope for heaven when you die and to be a part of God's new creation and new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth and the new age with no suffering and no sickness and no death. Sign me up for that. Yes, please. But there are no solo riders on God's roller coaster. Do you know it? We are all in this together. And the picture that the Scripture writers paint is that Christ becomes our head and source and leader, and we become so intimately connected to Him that by faith we are called His very body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 24, 27. God has so composed the body, 
giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have, check it out, the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Isn't that awesome? But you should be a part of a church that expresses that in the way that it does care. You ought to know when someone's suffering so that you can suffer with them and move to be a conduit of God's care. And if there's no structure, how are you going to know? If there's no leadership, how are you going to know? How are you going to act? How is someone who is, who is and, and there's plenty of people in the room right now that are going, yep, been here for two years, suffered quietly three times. And this is what we're trying to overcome. Two weekends ago, I got a call from a church member and a 40-year-old dad of three suddenly passed away. And those of us who knew were able to move, to care, to meet needs, to be a comfort to this family, to this young widow. But it should be right that when she enters the room, the people who know are there to hug her and hold her and cry with her and pray for her and see if there's anything they can do to help. So we want to build that culture of care and, and celebration. How many, how many high school and college grads we got in the house right now? You did it! You made it! I realized two weeks ago, I'm like, all the, I'm seeing all these graduation posts, and I'm like, oh, we didn't celebrate for anybody who graduated. That's a big deal, isn't it? And so we need to be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. Tiffany showed me a post last night, our own Josh Tress, who's a firefighter. He swam for 10 minutes through a rip current to save someone who was drowning. That's pretty cool. Go Josh, right? We want to be a a community that knows the good things that are happening and rejoices with them and knows the suffering that's happening and suffers with those who suffer. Amen? That doesn't happen until we all know what's going on and that can happen without structure and that can happen without connection, but we are the body of Christ. I love that Paul in this letter also helps us to recognize that this isn't just about our connection to Jesus. We're connected inseparably to one another. Look around, everybody. They may not be your friends, but they are your body. <laughs> it's just like being born into a family. I have, I have uh, four sisters and two brothers. I didn't pick any of them. None, none of them at all. You have no choice in the matter who you end up sharing a room with throughout your childhood, do you? But you know what? God is the one who has composed the body. And he gives to every single person a manifestation of the spirit, unique, gifted, given as a gift to you for us. And you know there's no one who can do for the church and for the mission of God what you can do. This is why we're so passionate about mobilizing every member, about empowering people to walk in their gifts. I don't know what God made you to do. But this, isn't, this church is not all about the people who are on the stage or the staff or the volunteers. Every single person has an essential role to play and we will not be a mature body and we will not fulfill the mission God has until every single one of us is walking in the gifts and calling that God has for us. And a big part of that is gonna come down to care. There are some of you that are gonna be able to help people who know nothing about money and make the same mistakes over and over and over again make a budget. You know that. And that's going to be an expression of care. Some of you are just going to get fried chicken from Cracker Barrel. And that's fine. That's your spiritual gift. You have like the gift of Uber. Uber Eats, that's your gift. But the point is, we can't do what God's put us here to do without every single person. And so there needs to be 
an avenue of care. But we can't forget that even in the midst of us being the conduit of care, that God is its source. And this is super important. And I, and I bring this up week one on purpose, and I'll, I want to close with this reality. When you come into an environment like this one with an expectation of care, it's easy to make the mistake that other people are the source of your care. And if you do that, you are setting yourself up for disappointment and resentment because we're all going to try really hard, but we can't be for you what only God can be for you. This is why Pastor Peter says, cast your cares on him knowing he cares for you. Don't worry about them. They're doing their best. They're in progress. He's got to be your source. We are all seeking to be conduits of care as we are fulfilling our role as being members of the body, but we have to find our source for care in God alone. Do you know it? So we're going to be in this process of growing, and we want to do the best we can to see that nobody's overlooked, that nobody's forgotten, that nobody has a need that goes unmet, that nobody suffers quietly and alone. And we're going to do the best we can to make a structure and to empower leaders and to create a culture where people are eager to care. That's why we have only a chance for you to sign up to care for other people so that we're not inundated with all the needs that you have with nobody to connect you to. Do you understand how this works? We have to remember in the midst of all that work, in the midst of that effort and eagerness to be a caring church, that the source of care is not us. We are a conduit of God's care for other people. That means we don't take credit for it. It also means we don't get resentful when it doesn't happen. So the church was designed for connection, composed, we're put together. We were made for camaraderie. We're all supposed to be in this together, brother, sister, in Christ. God put us together. We didn't get to pick it. And complement. In this passage, Paul talks about a foot and a hand and an eye, and I'm not important because I'm not this, and everybody should be this. And if you, if you have that attitude, you end up with a body of Christ that looks like Mike Wazowski, right? It's one big old eyeball. That's it. Little tiny hands. Eyes are the best, aren't they? No, you look weird, you know? So there's a, there's a complementary nature to where we all fulfill our peace. And every time I talk about that, somebody comes in afterward and tells me they're the hangnail of the body of Christ. They're the bunion on the toe of the body of Christ. No, you're not. Shut up. That's not how this works. Shame off you, okay? Shame off you. You're important. You matter. You're essential. Figure yourself out and get to work because we need you. Stop, stop thinking you need to be burned off, cut off, hacked off, whatever. That's not how this works. And this happens as we complement each other and don't compare. The, the church of Jesus is a, is a comparison-free zone. You may not compare yourself to other people. You can't compare. You may not. You are not allowed. We had my mom, when she raised us, Everything was a no, may not. Remember her little hand like this? No, may not. That's a no, may not. Touch the stove. Up. Oh, that's a no, may not. Grab, grab a cup from where you couldn't see. Up. Oh, no, may not. If I see you comparing yourself around here, no, may not. That's a may not. Well, I'm not as helpful as so-and-so. Shh. Mm-mm. No, may not. That's not how this works. You be you. Let them be them. There is no comparison. You'll ruin everything for us, so don't do it. No comparison. Let me conclude, also worship team to come forward. We want to have perspective on suffering. We don't want to let the reality that suffering exists move us away from God. Instead, we want it to drive us to draw near to God because he's the only one who can meet us in it, who cares for us, who will bring us through it, and who will save us from it. Amen? We, we want to have perspective on the victory and the method in which Christ is victorious for us. 
because it becomes the model of our lives as we humble ourselves, as we endure suffering, as we give our lives away. That is where we experience the power of God. That's where we experience the resurrection power. That's what leads us to the life that God wants to give us. Do you know it? That perspective is necessary. And we have to move into this season of creating a culture of care, recognizing that people are indeed conduits of care, and we want to get in the game to be the person God's called us, to be the gift that God's called us. But we have to remember that he is the source, that we can't actually meet the needs people have, that we won't have the right words, that we'll fumble our way through, that we'll mess it up, and we don't want to create an environment of resentment when people don't experience what they think they need from a person who's only meant to deliver a small portion of the big picture. But if we can have that perspective, we're not afraid of suffering, and we're not expecting it's gonna disappear. We're not, we're not subject to the lies of the enemy to say, oh, if you just do this, all suffering will vanish, no. Suffering's a part of this world, and that's what we're gonna be saved through and saved from. And we're gonna be victorious in the middle of it. By faith, join with Jesus. We will experience his resurrection power all throughout life and beyond death. And we wanna have that perspective that God's put us together on, on purpose to be conduits of his care to other people, to be a part of the body of Christ, to play the role that he has called us to play. And so the thing that we can immediately connect to and may has, may has already seemed obvious to you, is prayer. This is a point of application, just one. Prayer. If God is the source of all comfort and care, you may not have a clue how to care for somebody. You may not feel like you know what to say. Do I go, do I go in for a hug? Do I stand back? Do I call? Do I give him space? I don't know. But the one thing that God has given to us that immediately connects every person directly to God is prayer. And so can we be a church that's just quick to say, can I pray for you? And can I pray for you now? Can I pray for you right now? And your prayers don't have to be showy. They don't have to be good. You're like, I don't even know how to do this. Doesn't matter. You know how to talk? Care about that person and talk to God. Tiffany challenged me in this years ago. I, I regularly said, I will pray for you to people. They would come up to me after church service or they would call me or text me, tell me things going on. And I would say, we're gonna pray for you. And she's like, do you have, are you praying for that person? Do you have a list? Do you just pray one time? How do you remember? Do you forget about people? And I actually thought about it. And I was like, yeah, I actually sometimes do. I'm going to pray for you. And I totally forget about it. Anybody ever done that? Confession time. And she said, well, you could, you could start by just saying, can I pray for you right now? And so to the best of my ability, that's what I've been seeking to do. If there's any need that someone has, no matter if I feel, if I have the ability to meet it, or if I don't know where to begin, I can pray with them. I can connect them to the source of care, of deliverance, of victory. So God, I pray this morning for each of us, Lord, as you are doing a miraculous work uh, in our world, in our hearts, in our church, in this community. God, I just pray that you would help us to connect to these realities. Lord, that we would not let suffering presence of evil in our world separate us from the miracle that you want to do in our hearts and through our lives. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see that our victory is cruciform, that it walks through suffering, but ends in resurrection power. And Lord, I pray that you would help every single one of us as we grow to be more caring people and to 
recognize and step into and fulfill our role in the body of Christ, that we would experience your care for us personally as we learn to cast our anxieties in your direction, to express them to you, to commit them to your care, and to rest knowing that your thoughts towards us are wondrous and cannot be counted. God, I pray for every person in my hearing that does not have life in your name, has not received the gift of salvation. I pray right now, God, they would have faith to believe and words to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you would save them and add them to the body of Christ. Grow your family, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would empower each of us to fulfill the mission that you have for us. In Jesus' name. We're gonna close with a song and I wanna encourage you during this song, if you have any need of prayer or if you have a need to have an exchange with God between just you and him, you don't have to tell anybody, this is a really great time to make use of the space, to come out of your seat, to have a word with the Lord, to pray with one of our, our prayer team if you want to and to encounter God and to ask him for that which you need, amen? That's why this space is here. Remember that whole shame off you thing? No shame in coming up here and having that encounter with God. The team's gonna lead us in a final song and then I'll close this up.